welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So Doc Ryan is going to start us off on, I don't know what he's going to do, but we're going to end up doing some tag teaming. We're going to tag team this. I'm going to start off a little singularly, and um, many of you guys know that Pastor Steve just received a doctoral degree from Covenant Theological Seminary. Now... If you know me, you can leave that one up there for a little while, Mitchell. We'll laugh over it. If you know me very well, my heart, my mindset, and this is what Steve was kind of poking at in the political uh, jabbing with me, is that uh, my heart is to be totally into the kingdom. All in, all the time, all Jesus. You know, I kind of see this as like this meter of, we're in the world, and, and part of it is our mission is to take back or regain the world through Jesus. But then part of us is, is, is at the same time that we're doing that, we're also called to, to not get tied to that world, to be all into only the kingdom of God. And so usually when I speak, I want to go into the what is ideal. I don't really want to dwell in what's messed up of the world, what's affected by that. I only want to look at, I want to focus on God's ideal. And that's that's the trajectory that we're shooting for. We're not shooting for anything of the world or, or trying to get caught along the way. We're just looking up. And so when I think that way... I actually have a problem with the next five minutes that I'm going to deliver to you. So, but bear with me, it'll come full circle at the end. So, our world looks at a lot of things that happens inside of the kingdom, and they don't understand it. It's kind of the the message that we've already got. They have no idea how to make sense of what just happened five days in a row. They just They just can't. Figure it out, you know? And you can call that, I call that the backward kingdom phenomenon. That's what some people have shirts and t-shirts that kind of say and things like that. But they can't figure it out. So sometimes they try to figure it out for us. And so sometimes to kind of make sense at all to the rest of the world, we have to kind of use borrowed worldly terms and things like that. And sometimes that leads them here. And so... You know, I would actually prefer a different church or a different name than church. I like body of Christ and ecclesia and things like that. Those are more spiritual terms. But if I started walking around advertising the ecclesia next week, everybody out there that I want to end up in here probably wouldn't end up in here. They just get the word church and then they might come one day when they're a wreck. (laughs) So... There's titles that are kind of of the world, too, and one of them is doctor. So some of you guys affectionately refer to me as 
is Dr. Ryan on my books. It's very formal. It says my pen name is Dr. Will Ryan. And those are kind of like weird worldly things, aren't they? When people have pen names and all that kind of stuff. So at the same time, I kind of use them for everybody else. They're not necessarily for you. Does that make sense? And so the big joke with Pastor Steve all week was, what do we call you now? Is it Dr. Reverend, Pastor Steve, whatever? So the simple answer to this is that whatever you were calling him last week before you knew this is probably what you should call him this week and forevermore. And so if he's Steve to you, then he's still Steve to you. If he was Pastor Steve to you, we'll let him still be Pastor Steve to you. So those are informal, intimate, affectionate terms. And so sometimes I don't necessarily like the name Doc Ryan. It kind of sounds like a Wild West cowboy name. But it's actually a pretty affectionate term that I smile at. And so that was... I didn't choose it. Somebody kind of chose it for me on that one. But it's a more affectionate way of saying that. Um, I actually don't prefer the term pastor either, which might surprise you. We might get there, but I'm going to put that one on the shelf for just a second. Um, so when I look at the reason I carry doctor with my name, and now your pastor carries doctor with his name, is because it's a little bit of a recognition of the world that he's as high as it gets within what they call the church. Did you pick that up? And so, so the rest of the world, actually, you know, other parts of this, they might call it bishop or something like that. Well, we call it doctor, and so let, let me just... Some of you guys, I realize I've been standing in kind of in a cornfield today. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the whole version of it. Formally, it's Dr. Steve Castle from now on, who functions as a shepherd, which you might call a pastor. Does that make sense? You could also write Pastor Steve Castle. D.min. That would, that would formally tell you that he functions adjectively as one who shepherds, who has a formal name, has been recognized by the world and by the body of Christ, the church, as a doctorate in ministry. Now, his doctorate ministry is actually extremely unique, especially considering his age, because uh, in his case, I'm actually talking young age in this case, because it was granted as an honorary degree. Now, that doesn't mean that he hasn't gone to a load of school in order to get there. It means that Covenant Theological Seminary actually sought him out rather than him seeking them out. And so you probably don't know a lot of people with honorary doctorate degrees. They're very few and far between, but I could name some that would surprise you. The one that really surprises me the most is, uh, you might remember Dr. Joseph Stoll, who was president of Moody Bible Institute for years and years and years. They sought him out, asking him to be the head of the one of the greatest training organizations of ministers in the world that grants all kinds of higher degrees and undergraduate degrees and everything else. But the problem was is he didn't have a doctorate degree. So they said, first, we need to give you an honorary doctorate degree because what you have done in the kingdom 
where you have invested, where you have sowed your seed is different but equal in the kingdom. So where you've invested in all this time and effort and everything else, even though in Steve's case he actually does have a master's degree that he spent a long time getting and things like that, and he's taken classes that we would you know, take towards a doctoral degree and things like that. In our case, we actually came to him because we want our school to have the reputation that the kingdom has gotten through Pastor Steve Castle. This, this is kingdom work. This is covenant language that we have between us. And so, so we've sought him out, and this is what it comes down to, is we, we actually, from, from covenant theological seminary's perspective, we would, we would be fine to an extent if you wanted to spend the next three years working on a doctorate ministry, but we actually look at him and say, for the kingdom's sake, we would rather you not. Does that make sense? That we absolutely would not want to take you away from what you're doing here and now. What you're doing here and now, you've had a, you've had a school of ministry. You still do have a school of ministry. You've been involved in Karis and are the regional representative for that and everything else. Essentially, the three years that we would say we want you to study to show yourself as approved, you've already done. Not only that, but we wanted them to eventually join our our seminary, and I'm still working on that one. He wouldn't leave the church; he would just help us with some things. So, so that might be in the future. Where we, I think there's some kingdom things going on right there. But there's there's all kinds of different stuff that come with this. So, from the outside looking in, he would now be Doctor Steve Castle, who is the pastor of Beloved Church. To you. I don't know that it's changed. He's Pastor Steve, the same that he always was. Now, if you're introducing him to somebody to your banker, then, you know, it'd probably be more fitting to say, this is Dr. Steve Castle, who's the pastor of Beloved Church in Lena, where I've been attending for five years. That would probably be the best way to do it when you're, when you're bridging the world, so to speak. And so, um, there's a little bit more to this, uh, Go back to the last picture of Steve graduating. There's a few things. These are called colors in the academic world. And he's wearing red here, and red always represents theology. And so he has theology in a hood and things like that. And what this designates is it means that he's put the time in theologically that we would consider him as, as learned as it gets in the world that we operate in. It's the highest honor he could get. In fact, that day, with the, uh, this year there were about 400 CTS graduates, and at the particular graduation, there's several graduation areas, but at the one that we were at, there was only one other person flying the same colors that he was flying that was granted the highest level of a doctoral ministry. Now, my robe's a little bit different than his. I still have a red hood, but you'll notice there's gold, and that signifies that... Uh, that my degree was a little bit different. That's a, a theology doctorate, which is different than a doctor of ministry. They're not higher. They're just different. It's, it's just there's, I truly believe in equality in the kingdom. And that's why when I come back to this, at the end of this whole discussion, I'll say, 
do we need to be wearing those robes? Do we need to carry the name of doctor within the church? And I would say it's actually more for the world than it is for the church. And so that's why I struggled even coming and starting with this whole conversation is from a kingdom's perspective, there's a whole lot of ministers in this room. From a kingdom's perspective, we should all be shepherding. And so we recognize those that shepherd, those who are shepherding. And that's usually what we call pastors, although again, I'll just kind of argue shepherd is a better, is a better term for it still. And so you recognize those who have put in the time, those who have put in the time, those that God has called out to kind of be a leader of different gifting areas and things like that. And that's also what Covenant Theological Seminary is seeking to do, is recognize those within the local church body that are seeking that way. So, with that being said, I'm going to introduce to you Dr. Steve Castle, who is your pastor and shepherd as our new doctor. Now, this might surprise you, but from... Stay standing for a second. Stay standing, but from the world's perspective, they're actually going to... You might not look at this guy differently than you have for the last 10 years, but from the world's perspective, now they will look at him a little bit differently. And so, the doors will be open a little bit further for the grounds that we can travel through the kingdom. So that's what we're going to pray for. Extend your hand to me. Lord, I just uh, pray for my amazing brother in Christ that you have granted me as one of the best gifts in my life, Lord. And in the lives of all of these, Lord. So much transformation through these lives, through these people, through your kingdom, through this town. And we only know the front side of it, Lord. We are eagerly anticipating the rest of your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you that you have continued to call him and to move him towards diving deeper, to studying harder, to understanding your word, your ways, your languages, your spirit, Lord, that he might rise not only to the place where the world would esteem somebody to be, Lord, but even so much more significant and important than that, Lord, that He would be the pastor, the shepherd to this church, the kingdom person that You have called Him to be, Lord. And with the recognition of this title, Doctor, Lord, we're just signifying the amazing amazing person that you have blessed this church with, Lord, to fully shepherd in the way that you have called him to do, Lord, that all might come into a better intimate relationship with the Father through the life of Steve Castle. So, Lord, we thank you immensely for this and for connecting us all in the way that you have through him to your kingdom And Lord, we pray that he might be deeper and more fully commissioned, not only in your kingdom and the church, Lord, 
but also to bridge the gap between what we are reclaiming in the name of your kingdom. So, Lord, to that be the honor and the glory. Amen. Amen. So, along with what Dr. Benjamin was explaining, the the balance between the, the world and the kingdom on this, Jesus is the one that said, call no man father. So, and, and there, there's a camp there where half the body of Christ is over here like, well, nobody has a title, nobody has anything, nobody, it, we're all exactly the same thing, we're all exactly equal, and there's a truth there. But you guys know that I'm all about balance and having a, an understanding of all of the of all of the differences and the nuances that are in the kingdom, because Jesus was also the one that said that when you receive a prophet, in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. So people that don't receive a prophet in the name of a prophet don't get the reward the prophet is carrying. So which is it? Call no man father or call a prophet a prophet? Yes. That's the answer. And so, like he said, please don't get weird on me. This is why I've, I've been weird. He wanted on... to keep all this a secret I because did. he didn't want you guys to get weird on him. Because so. you, you know how I feel about intimacy and, and sincerity and genuineness in our relationship. And if something changes because you know that I've got some letters on the backside of my name, then it wasn't really an authentic way that we were in relationship before. But there are things that I get from mom when I call her mom. There's a grace in mom for mom. There's a grace in my wife for wife. There's a grace, and even this is where it's going to get a little bit more tenuous. When I, there's times when I, am say, when I say Dr. Benchimer, because I'm receiving from Dr. Benchimer, but then there's times when he and I are together and we're working out and sweating, and it's Ryan. That's, that's friend. But then there's times that I lean on the gifts and the talents and the skills that's in him. And, and there's be, other names he calls me, but we won't get into those ones. More, there, more intimate names. And there's a, and there's a, there, there's a reality that those different aspects, those different gifts and those different callings that God has placed on your life, if you lean into them in different times, you will receive different rewards. Kay does this. I, I don't know anybody that does it better than Kay. I am her husband. I am her best friend. I am her lover. I am her pastor. I am Kay's pastor. She openly admits that. And so for her to, for us to be in a conversation, and maybe sometimes all four of these are taking place, where I might be saying something, ministering to her as a shepherd in her life, but then I'm also saying something in intimacy to the, my wife, my bride, but then I'm also maybe saying it in a little bit of a flirtatious manner. And then, and she does this well. She knows how to, how to navigate through all those layers. And so I want us as a family to be able to do that too, to be able to navigate all that kind of stuff. And like you said, there might be a time like, hey, that's Dr. Steve Castle, and he is telling you the truth from, from heaven, and you need to respect and honor the fact that he has earned the right to, to speak into this, into this realm or into this place. But then, when we're out banging around on volleyball, you better say, Steve, it's yours. Because if you say, Dr. Steve Castle, get the ball. (laughs) We're going to lose. And you know how I feel about losing. (laughs) 
So, so these, this is one of those places that you have to get the balance and the understanding in your heart because if you get weird here, you're, you're going to stay weird. You're probably never going to write the ship. And I'll also add something to this. There's nothing wrong with the title pastor. It's just, you know, when I'm saying I want to sp- stick to God's ideals, it's a modern title. It's actually not yeah. much different than doctor. And so, you know, when you go back and look in the Bible, I, this might surprise you, but it's arguable that it's actually not in the New Testament. Did you guys know that? That there's pastors one time, Ephesians 4.11, but that's really it. So today when we say pastor, I'm okay with it if we actually just know that we're talking about the biblical definition of a shepherd in the, in, in the Bible. And so it doesn't bother me to say pastor. I call him pastor all the time. Sometimes I even call him lead pastor. That cuts under his skin a little bit sometimes. Do you know why? So the reason is, is because in an ideal world, we have one lead shepherd in our church. Jesus Christ. Now, lead pastor is actually okay, but it's a worldly term still. And so it's a, it's a new worldly term. And so when we say lead pastor, when somebody comes in, guess what they want to know? Kids don't ask these questions, no. but adults do all the time. They want to know who owns it. Who's the CEO? Who's running it? Who, who, who has all this? And so from the outside, they want to know who's got the world's responsibility. From the inside, quite frankly, we could care less. And so it goes back to that equality of the believers thing. Now, there is, again, biblically, those who shepherd, those are already shepherding. You know, if you've got your, if you've got your grace group of 15 people and you need to check in with somebody, well, the church has identified those here that you check in and you've got a few of them. You've got Pastor Craig, you've got Pastor Steve, you've got Pastor, and you can keep going. Pastor Bob, go, go, go. And so those are important to identify in your church those who are available, who we've, who have been called out, who their giftings are in that way to shepherd those that shepherd. But technically, we use this language a lot this week. We're all called priests. If right. you're, if you're doing it right, you are the royal priesthood right. that's going out. Now, you might not have a very high power chart. I talked about the Iron Man little graph of how much am I, am I in the world for those that were at camp. I wish we all had Iron Man's little thing, and I look down and I say, today I'm 80% Jesus and only 20% world. That's a good day. I also wish I had the gifting power graph. I could hit the button and it would bring the next graph up. Remember when you were a kid and you had Transformers and on the back of the box they said, strength, eights, intelligence, two, you know, and kind of read it all out. Well, that's kind of the gifting of the church. And some people are more gifted. The world would call this like people management or coaching or something like that. Some people are more gifted to shepherd those who shepherd. Where others, other people, they go, man, I don't want that gift. But guess what? God actually might give it to you sometime when you least expect it. So hold on there. Yeah. And, and remember that your life is just the diversity of those different areas being in your life creates infinite opportunities. This is why you guys have heard me rail on incessantly. In fact, some people have gotten irritated and left because I said, you need to have a shepherd. You need to have a pastor. It is really important. And I know a lot of folks in here that you're not there yet, 
but get there. And if it ain't me, I'm cool with that. Like, go find your shepherd. But a, a sheep without a shepherd is mutton. Now, there's one word that's used to describe a gift that everybody clearly has. This is what Jesus did best. This is Jesus' number one gift, and it's tied to the word disciples. So every one of us, the you might know my theory, there's different theories on this, but I don't believe that we've all attained to what Jesus called to be his disciple. I think there's a whole bunch of followers of God, and if you decide you're going to go be a disciple and check everything at the, be- at the beach and follow har- wholeheartedly, then you'll become a disciple. Then, then, then that's the transition that you'll get to be a disciple. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a job in the world like we just heard. You know, you, you, can, you can work in the world, but a lot of it is heart set mindset. Are you, Jesus wants it all. Can you, can you have the job that you have and be all in for the kingdom? That it's not going to hold you back. If something something happens and you can't go to work the, today at your job because you just need to stop life and minister, is that going to be a problem? If your answer is yes, then maybe God is calling you a little bit later in life to rethink that. And guess what? I truly believe that God will give you that if that's if that's where you're going. And all of these things, the word disciple and the gift that everybody has is what Jesus did best, and that's to teach. Every single one of you is teaching right now, whether you realize it or not. You're teaching something. Yep. So what he's getting to, we're all called to teach. We're all called to make disciples. We should be a disciple who's making disciples. Now, not all of us are. You, You and the Lord know. If you're, if you're all in and you're an actual disciple, most people, just like in Jesus's physical ministry, as it is in today's non-physical ministry, are followers. So these, these are kind of the two designators between uh, how the Lord operates with people. Now, I will, I'm going to say some things generally. I can come back and, and prove them in Scripture. In fact, we're going to go there in a minute. <clears throat> but... Jesus treated followers and disciples differently. And, and I know what you're probably thinking, like, well, they, if they were disciples, like, they got the best of Jesus. Actually, it's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little different. He was, he was way more merciful, way more gracious with the followers. In other words, he kind of, like, put up with a little bit more because he wanted to bring them into disciple. And so if you're, if you're in a, if you're in beloved church and it's like it seems like Steve's always just really nice and he's and he's always kind, he's always just you know kind of surface or whatever, then you might be a follower. But if he's if he can come to you and he can tell you like, hey, this thing that you're doing in your life, you need to cut that out. You need to add a little bit of this. You need to do. That's exactly how Jesus talked to disciples. He was very very engaged with all the intimate different places of their life. So. This is interesting because a lot of people would rather just have the fluff. Just be nice to me. Just ha- I want mercy and I want grace and I, and I want to basically stay in my brokenness. But I want to be within earshot, eyeshot, or arm's length of Jesus. And, and that's fine and Jesus is okay with that. If you want to just be a follower, he'll, he'll take you into the follower. The problem is, is that when he goes in and does some incredible things... And when really powerful things happen, you're not going to be there. 
So Steve and I have a very unique relationship together. And about two weeks ago, something came up. And I was on the phone, and my wife overheard, and she kind of went, are you guys having an argument? I wasn't. I'm more spiritual. And I'm like, well, I don't really think it's an argument. She was just mad. (laughs) At me. It never happens. (laughs) But sometimes it's a fine line. We want to hold each other accountable, literally, to the razor's edge. And sometimes that ruffles feathers. And so in the body of the Christ, are you mature enough to walk that road? Not only with an accountability person in your life, but also with God himself. Some of us haven't opened that door. It's, a, it's kind of a long story, but uh, he, he was justified in, in his information to be angry at me in, in a godly way. He wasn't, you know, th- these, are, these are spiritual things that a lot of people in the world don't understand these guys, but he, would, he was justified from what he understood. If this makes angry. sense, he later thanked me profusely and I repented to him. He, he did. He came and he, and he went around and, I, and he's like, and will you pray for me? And I said, here's what I'll do. I'll accept your apology and I'll pray for you if you don't change. I want you to know that at any time, if you see something that's out of line in my life, that you have the right, no matter what it is, no matter what time, no matter what you think, no matter what you think I'll think, I want you to know that you can say anything, anytime to me. So if you won't change that part of it, you know, I'll accept the apology and we'll pray together. And he did. Because I want that. I want people to hold me accountable. I want people to, to look at my life and to assess it, especially somebody who's incredibly advanced in the kingdom of God and very close to the heart of God, who can look into and speak into my life and help me be better. What do you think correction does? Correction puts you back on the track. Correction puts you in the center of the road where there's a whole less like, whole lot less likely opportunity for your car to get jacked up. So I call this kingdom transparency, and it only works with intimacy. That's the only way. If you don't have that relationship with God the Father or with the friend that you're talking to, it's not going to work. It's, it's not going to paint the picture that Jesus wanted it to paint or intended it to paint. Yet when the intimacy is there, when the kingdom principles, the, the learning for years that you understand this is the way the kingdom worked, and we don't even have to talk about all these things, we just know that we're on the same page when that comes up. So please, Hannah, go to John chapter 2, and you can... Use the ESV so people are more likely to understand it. And in verse 23, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. This is atypical of a lot of the church. Like, okay, there's some, there's some supernatural stuff going on over there in that church, and I need some supernatural stuff. I've put myself in a mess. I can't bail myself out. 
it's way more likely to happen in a third world nation. In America, you can put yourself in as deepest mess as possible, and the government loves you. They'll give you money. They'll give you free health care. They'll give you an Obama phone. They'll, they'll do anything they can to keep you as broken as possible. But in most other parts of the world, if you, if you get broken, you'll die. And that was what was going on here, was that when people were seeing that the miraculous was taking place in Jesus' ministry, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of attraction. This, this would be the equivalent of our seeker-sensitive church with tight jeans and big screens and smoke machines. Like, wow, that is awesome over there. And on, on, if you look at this verse in some other translations, I know for sure in the Passion it says, and there were many, in fact, I don't know if you, can you switch that to the Passion? I think it says that there were followers. Yep, look. While Jesus was at the Passover feast, the number of his followers. Yeah. Note, that's followers. Why, that's why we like the Passion sometimes. Yeah. yeah. The number of his followers began to grow. Now, now this would be like every, every preacher's, every minister's glory, dream. Like, woohoo, the church is growing, lots of people, they're all coming in. And it's supernatural. Right? This, this would be it. This would be the pinnacle of what we're, what all the people that want to get into ministry, even, even folks that are not in ministry. Would you like to have supernatural things taking place in your life and a lot of people starting to gather around you and say like, man, you're the greatest CNC machine operator that's ever existed on the planet. Let me give you a little light on what's going on in this verse. So Jesus was at Passover Passover feast. There's something to get in here. So some of you guys, I already see you got your inner linears out and you're like (laughs) scrolling away. Going to keep us accountable up here. There's seven feasts of Israel. And so the feasts of Israel are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, we call it Pentecost now, although the, the better name is Shavuot, and so it's actually been translated as Passover in a, in a lot of our translations, but there's one place where it says Paul was going to Passover, and it's actually a poor translation because Pentecost hadn't really happened yet, so it was, it was actually Shavuot that he was going to. I'm sorry, it's translated Pentecost, but Shavuot would be better. There's also trumpets, Day of Atonement, and booths, sometimes that's called tabernacles. So out of these seven, these are basically giant church services like what we just did for the last week. Right. And so you have seven, seven times that they would travel. Three of these, Passover was the big one, was, in fact, Passover was really kind of singular because you were supposed to go to Passover. In fact, if you didn't go to Passover, there were like some serious repercussions. So you would travel from wherever you had moved and everybody would go to Passover. So if there was such a thing as Pastor Steve said a few minutes ago as the big church service, who were they preaching to? They were preaching to maybe the followers, but maybe not even those, you know, the the ones that came. Now, the other, outside of the three big ones, there are four other ones that I've mentioned, and those were more intimate, that not everybody came to, and those were the ones that were really conditioned that you would try to transform your family from being a follower to being more of a disciple. And so, so they made seven times a year, they met at least one week. So what you guys just did last week with Beloved, it was pretty much an Old Testament biblical festival that you just went to. 
celebrate with the family. So, beloved, I, I always put you guys on a pedestal. I say you're in the 1% of the churches that I know are doing it right. Except in this case, if you're really doing it right, you'd be doing this seven times a year. So, you got a little work to do in the future to get there. Amen. We, we accept your challenge. So, the, the reason that he's... Hold on, I, hold on. And if you're doing it kingdom right, bringing heaven to earth, guess what? You'd never stop. Yeah, you'd just, just have a forever feast. Amen. I'm cool with that, too. We've already been called a cult. We might as well just buy the place and go move in anyway. Amen. One of, uh, poor, uh, well, I won't say a name out there, but one of, the, one of my Facebook friends who's sitting, who's sitting amongst you yesterday just got lambasted by somebody on one of my pages called it, you're part of the cult and you've been sucked into his whatever. I can't remember what she said. And I was like, woohoo! <laughs> so, uh, so I want you to understand in this verse, these are the people. What we would reference in American churchianity or Christianity today, we would call them Christers. These are the, the ones that come to Easter and Christmas. You know, like, I'm not going to be so far gone in my religion that I'm going to miss the Christmas service and the Easter service. And, and we, we all know that they're really not Christians, but they, you know, they got to come check the box at least once or twice a year. So that was the people that were following Jesus. Jesus showed up at this Passover. There was miraculous things that happened. And so all these priesters started following him, which is is totally normal in today's church culture as it was even back then because religion is religion is religion. It doesn't matter what century it is. And then the next verse says, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Yep. Now, hold on. This is, this is the, the opposite of what you would see in average ministry in church today. Now, this is crazy, because if you go back to verse 23, this is another really good passion translation. Notice how the people were willing to place their allegiance to Jesus. Did you pick that up? Use the word allegiance. This is accurate, because if you were in the Greco-Roman Empire during the time that this was written, guess what you had to do? You had to pledge your allegiance to the Caesar. And if you chose not to pledge your allegiance, your allegiance to the senior, then, then guess what? There were all kinds of repercussions. And I've made the statement in this building before that when the centurion has greater faith than anybody else, right. according to Jesus, that was a huge statement because his allegiance was totally to Jesus, which meant you can't serve two masters. He was, as a centurion... Right putting Christ in front of Caesar, which was, quite frankly, a death wish. It was, it, it was, I don't believe he probably lived two weeks after that statement was made in the New Testament. So think about that. He did what it took to get his servant healed, his servant healed, and it cost him his life. How many people are willing to get a servant in their life healed and give up their own life to do it. Your own rich, powerful, awesome life. 
that there's a lot going on when you understand the culture and the dynamics of Scripture. So that's why we encourage to do deep Bible studies. So in the Passion, it says that all of these followers were willing to give them his their allegiance. And so we would say, like, that's it. Like, get some tracks, right, in Christianity. Everybody get some tracks and hand them out and, and get them all signed up to Beloved Church and get them into the, into the guest services center and get all their names on there so we can get their emails and their phone numbers and get them connected because they're all ready to give allegiance and they're following Jesus and, and Jesus is the real deal. And then he says... They're like, fickle. They're yeah. fickle. Yep. Because they believed in the signs and miracles. Right. Did they believe in Jesus? Even though they placed their allegiance in Jesus, they made an obedient statement to follow Jesus, but Jesus describes them as fickle. If you've ever wondered why sometimes you picked up that I'm not a huge fan of the Romans road or making a profession of faith, this is one of the reasons why. Because I want to see it lived out. Right. I want to see the allegiance, obedience turn to action before I give a whole lot of credit there. John the Baptist said, bring forth works worthy, fruits worthy of repentance. Don't just repent. Bring forth the fruits that shows that you repent. And you guys have heard me say this all the time. Don't tell me what you believe. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Don't come up to me and apologize. or Just do it. And the Lord is the exact same way. So it says, but Jesus did not yet entrust himself to them. Note that they were willing to follow him and even willing to give their allegiance to him. But he was not necessarily willing to reciprocate that because he knew they were fickle. This, this is a statement that you've heard me say a lot as well. Whatever brings you into the kingdom keeps you into the kingdom. So flashing lights and, and awesome, amazing worship like a rock star and, and the beautiful building and the stained glass and, and, and all of the pomp and circumstance, if that's what brings you into the kingdom, then that's the only thing that's keeping you in. But if a radical encounter with Jesus, then that's what's going to keep you in. The problem that Jesus is showing us here is that when you're a follower and not a disciple, you can be very fickle. You can waver. In fact, what he's really saying is, I don't want you to leave me. You know what followers do over and over in the New Testament? Last time I was here, we harmonized the disciples and we said the first two, time, first two times he called them, guess what they did? They went back to work. They left him is what they did. Disciples don't leave. Followers have a track record of leaving. And uh, the next verse, he didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature, for he fully understand, understood what man was capable of doing. So he knew what was truly in their hearts more than they did. That's why he was not willing to commit all the way to them. You know, he could have set up headquarters. He's at the Passover feast. Like, these are all the coolest kids in the entire country. This is the big feast. They're at Jerusalem. He could have set up Judaism 2.0 in his name. Like, this was the chance. Everybody's there. 
They're, they're, they're all in. They're ready to throw all allegiance in on him, right? Isn't this what the Messiah is supposed to do? He's supposed to come and set up the kingdom and, and now it's here and this looks like just like it and he's miraculous. And he's like, uh-uh, you folks are not going to follow me through the fire. When he uses the word koinos, what he's talking about is a totally new recreation. I described this at our camp weekend of, you're better than the original. You were a broken, worn out V8, and when you're recreated, you're supercharged and bored 40 over and everything. Yeah. In comparison, you're way, way better than the original, and that's what he designed you for. That was the creation. But it's a total different transformation. The, the Bible says transformation of the mind. We went through that this weekend on the weekend. But when you're, when you're in that complete transformation, every part of you thinks and acts differently. For instance, on this weekend, we saw miracles happen. With this week, we saw miracles happen. Lots of them. Now, if, if you weren't there, if you aren't conditioned this way to recognize those, you actually could have been on the week and missed them. Did you just catch that? You could have been going through the same thing everybody else was doing, but you just missed it. That's why sometimes even the disciples miss things yep. regularly with yep. Jesus. And so, you know, I had the worst migraine headache of my life and you know, Steve came over and just put his hands on me and prayed for me. And the worst migraine headache of my life was was gone just like that. And unfortunately, I didn't look at Steve and jump for joy and say, Oh my goodness, you know, brother, what did you just do? You know, this was unbelievable because I'm actually conditioned the other way. Yeah, of course I'm healed at this moment. Right. Why wouldn't I be we're supposed to be living supernaturally natural. Let that sink in. So one of the reasons that Jesus wouldn't commit himself to followers is because followers end up giving terrible names to your stuff. The followers of Beloved Church are the ones that end up giving us a terrible name out in society. I've actually had people come up to me like, oh, hey, you know, da-da-da-da, who are you? I'm Pastor Steve Castle, Beloved Church. Oh, I actually met one of your people. Oh, did you? Great. Awesome. Like, well, they did this and they did that. I'm like, um, sorry. <laughs> how many people in the name, uh, Dr. Benjamin knows this, but how many of you know what is the worst commandment to violate in Judaism? It's the seventh commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And if you walked up to someone and said, what's the worst command to break? Everybody said, like, murder, or adultery. Or the, no Christian in today's American Christianity would say the worst one is, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. They're like, cussing? Cussing's the worst one? Well, it sort of means that. <laughs> And the, the word in the Hebrew actually means to carry. You shall not carry the name of the Lord thy God in vain, in vanity. In other words, misrepresenting God in the name of God is the worst thing you could possibly do. So the word is tessa, and it means that if I'm going to say that my life represents 
the Lord. And I'm going to be a living, walking testimony of who the Lord is. And I do something contrary to that. That's the worst thing I could possibly do. And Jesus knew this. Cause, so he wouldn't commit himself. He, 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 they can say, well, we're Christ followers. And he didn't say, I approve. I stamp that. You can carry my name. He did not. He did not give them permission to carry his name. They could not walk away. And Jesus said that I represent him. No, you do not. That, this, is the, this is why that, that is incredibly important. I don't know how many of you know this story, but Mahatma Gandhi, who started, uh, what's the religion? Hindu, uh, Hinduism? Mahatma Gandhi, who started Hinduism, many people don't know this, but in India, where he started that, he was a he was one of these people that was really on a deep search to find meaning in life. If you've ever read his writing, you can tell like he was he was a very philosophical guy. And he actually read the Bible and said, "This is it. This is the answer that I've been looking for." He went to a Presbyterian church that he was ready to confess his salvation and be all say in. the prayer, yep. do the thing. What what went into a Presbyterian church in India and got kicked out because he was dark-skinned. So they wouldn't let him in because he was dark-skinned. And it's one of the most famous statements that have ever been said contrary to Christianity, which is Mahatma Gandhi said, I would have been a Christian until I met one. This is why St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Your life is a living epistle, is what Paul said. Known and read of all men. Everybody's reading your letter. What's it say? Jesus knew that these folks that were following were not going to represent him and his father well. You know, one of the reasons that the Father gave Jesus a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, was because Jesus carries the name of the Father perfectly. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard what Jesus said, you've heard what the Father says. An exact replication of the heart, the language, the way Everything, which is why Jesus was like the chief disciple who had committed others into discipleship. What we know firstly is the apostles, but then everybody else has been brought into discipleship, which is what Ryan and I, these are the juices that make us flow. Like you start talking about discipleship, you got us for 8, 10, 12 hours. Let's go. Let's talk about it. Discipleship. Get in. Raw. Quit the job. Shoot the dog. So so as a result, you guys ready for this? As a result, because nobody shepherded him to to Christianity to Jesus. Nobody was there to further point him to Jesus. He ended up basically starting his own Hindu religion and now 750 million million people later. 750 million potential, amazing, sold-out disciples of Christ are now in Hinduism, a pagan religion, because Mahatma Gandhi met a Christian. There's, there's churches right next to him. The closest church is the Methodist church. 
and somebody once interviewed them, and, and it's a big Methodist church. I mean, you know, hundreds of people, and somebody once interviewed them and said, you know, how many, how many are fervently walking? The question they were asking is, how many disciples do you have? And in this big church next to the Hindu church, the pastor's answer was, really, two or three. That's it. Two or three. Twelve th- at that point, there was 12,000 people. Oh, is that what it was? 12,000. 12,000 yeah. people that, that called themselves Methodists. And the, when they asked the pastor, how many do you believe are authentically really born again and sold out? And he said, two or three families. Out of 12,000. Because in Hinduism, in India, remember, they've got millions of gods. And so they're just like, oh, well, let's just make sure we add this one. We don't want to miss one. So if Jesus is a God, that's cool. We're cool. And I know you're thinking like, no way, people don't do that. I'm telling you, there are people in this building that have Jesus added as one of the gods in their life. This is called the circular problem in Christian history. So when did it happen? It happened first in the garden. They were convinced. It happens... Again and again and again, but the other big one is Israel. Why did they keep having the problem with Israel? Israel, basically, God says, I'm going to have a theocracy. This is my ideal. Right. I'm, going to, I'm going to do everything. I'm going, to, I'm going to fight your battles for you. I'm going to provide your food for you. I'm going to be your God. You getting that? Everything you need is me. And right away, what did they say? Nope, we want a king. We want our own leader. We want our own... Our own person, total slap in the face, which is actually connected with kings of churches in a modern culture yep. that is also kind yep. of going the same direction. We're, we're rehashing the circular thing all over again. So go to, uh, if you don't mind, please just go to Matthew 28. This is commonly, affectionately referenced as the Great Commission. There's two of them. There's the Mark 16 Great Commission that a lot of the mainstream church denominations don't like it because there's a lot of supernatural that goes on in there. And since they don't like the supernatural, they're called dispensationalists because they think all that's gone away. They don't think that that belongs there anymore. And in fact, there are some Bible translations. You're not going to find the last part of Mark 16 in your Bible. I think NIV is one of them. I'm not totally sure. But because they want to take out the supernatural out of the Bible. So the Mark 16 Great Commission, I call that the personal commission. This is the commission to every believer that calls themselves a believer. It says, these signs shall follow those who believe. We were just in our grace group on Wednesday. Uh, Deborah brought this up. that she's like, Man, these things are supposed to be following people that believe. And she's like, they're not really following me a lot. Some of these things are following me. Some of these other ones aren't following me. And I'm like, I don't know how to make this feel any better. But it is what it is. These signs shall follow them that believe. So please go and study in at some other time, Mark 16, the personal Great Commission. Everyone is called to do that. The Matthew 28 Great Commission is what I believe is the commission for the ecclesia, the church, us, the body of believers. Be it local body, beloved church, or the universal body of all believers. And in, and in, that's you. And in Matthew 28, 
Go, uh, verse 19, go ye therefore, this is the King James, this is probably the one that most of you recognize. We'll use some other versions here in a minute. But go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word teach all nations is better translated as make disciples. The church is supposed to be making disciples. Not just having disciples. I want you to get this. Are you making a disciple? Is somebody in your life able to say, Dr. Ryan Benchimer is making me a disciple? Now, I know him. He's got dozens upon dozens. He's got like 70. He's way ahead of me. I've, I've only got like a dozen. So. This is interesting, too. The, the word metheteo is actually a verb. Did you ever know that? It says, go disciple, go, go do this. This is... This is similar to shepherd in that, in that the noun isn't what the Bible usually emphasizes. It's the verb that emphasizes it. So when it's, talk about, when it's talking about discipleship over and over, it's talking about what we do. We are going to go disciple. And then in the same way, what are we supposed to do when we say pastor, teach, preach, things like that? Those are all verbs. It's doer language again. And nations is uh, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to, to understand that word. And it doesn't just mean like America, even though it does. Yeah. But it, it, it's, eth, it's ethnic groups. Or I, I don't know what the Greek... Eth, ethnos. Ethnos. Yeah. Ethnos is where we get the word ethnic. So it doesn't just mean like nations with borders. It means any kind of a person that's in any ethnic group. And in this church, there's multiple ethnic groups. You know, if you grew up Yankee, you know, in a cornfield, you have a certain way that your ethos works. If you grew up in the city, we got some city dwellers, and they're trying to get out of the city and come out here, and praise God. And there's a different ethos. This isn't just like skin color. This isn't just what country are you from. But even inside, there are these little breakaways that people are. And so he said, go into all of those different ethnic groups and turn them into people who become part of our ethnic group in the kingdom. This is also interesting, too. He made the cross reference to Mark. And when it's talked about Mark, it actually uses the word kingdoms. And so it says we're of that the idea here is we're of Jesus' kingdom, and there's all these other kingdoms out there. Now let's go reclaim those and bring them back to our kingdom. Right, so going back to, to agree with Ryan, my allegiance is by far first and should only be to my King Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. But we also find ourselves living on this earth. And so we are Americans. And so there is an allegiance by default that has to be to our nation if we are going to go into this ethnic group and reconcile them back unto God. And so there's a requirement for us to engage in the system and, and maybe a little or a lot. You know, Ryan's called to do a little. I'm called to do a lot. And so I'm going to be all engaged. In fact, that's where I'm going after this is I'm going to go preach in a political rally and I'm, I'm going to mess with their heads, something fierce, because it happens every single time. I know they're thinking like, yeah, let's do voting and fix America. And I'm always coming like, you think your vote's going to fix America? You're a special kind of stupid. Did you ride the short bus here? Because we've been electing folks for 240 years and look where we're at. 
Yeah, that ain't going to do it. What's going to do it, what's going to fix our nation is our nation becoming allegiant to Christ. Yes. <clears throat> so, amen, amen. That gets some people's juices flowing. <laughs> so, some are called to do a little, some are called to do a lot. What what Ryan is called to do in, in being one of the premier, and I know he's not going to like this, but being one of the premier theologians in America today, he's, he's, his book is actually outselling some of the other cool kids, which is, I think, awesome, because... Uh, I, I know that one of the reasons I believe is the Lord has his hand on what, what Doc Ryan's doing because he really believes the whole thing. He sees miracles. He has the Holy Spirit intimately in his life. He's not, he doesn't believe in some dispensational thing. I tried God's... to count them all last week, actually. I really did. I sat down and I said, I know of this, 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 and I ran out of fingers on two hands. And I really believe that that's what a, a true theologian is supposed to be. You know, theology is the study of God. It's, it's a lot of people can study things from afar. You know, many of you might be a, a packerology. You study the packers. You, you can tell me all the stats. You can tell me who the quarterback is. You can tell me how many ERAs or that's baseball, whatever. <laughs> but you can tell I do a lot of it. You can tell me all the stuff, but you, you don't know those folks. You've never been in their house. You've never been in Troy. I don't know who the pack, who's the, I was going to say Troy Aikman. Man, that, that aged me. And that's the wrong team and the wrong decade. <laughs> Whoever the quarterback is for the backers, you don't know him. You know about him. You've read the articles. You might have heard some stories. Maybe you know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows him, but you don't know him. Ryan knows God. And so I am way more likely to receive the study that Ryan has of God. So anyway, having said that, is that we, we're called to take this way of living, not followers. Jesus didn't say, go make converts. Go, go get some people to pray the prayer. Go give some people some fire insurance papers. Go get people signed up for your church. There's another. That'll mess with folks. Go go make followers. Fans. We have a ton of fans in the body of Christ. They sit in the stands. Woo! Get them, Pastor! We love it! Yay! Paint their chest green. Yeah! But, hey, I need you to come down here. Whoa, 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 whoa. i I got to finish my beer and, and get back to the house and cut the lawn. Oh, but it's Sunday. We're, we're supposed to do these things for God. Yeah, I'm just not cut out to do that. Right. You're not in the royal priesthood. No, but but I'm a fan. I'll root you on. I'll give you 20 bucks because I'm going to tip you when the plate comes by and give you the 20 bucks and hopefully you can take my 20 bucks and change the world, preacher. Go get them. I'm on your side. And And the reality is, you are. You are. You're a follower. And so you're, you're in the kingdom. You're on the periphery, eh? Jesus is finally, he loves you. He's going to continue to love you. And you can stay as far out there in the, in the rural parts of the kingdom as you want to. But that's really not going to be advantageous for you. And it's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you close to his heart. In Mark, when he called the disciples, it says that he called them to come and live with him. And this is, this is Old Testament language like to the max. In fact, the Feast of Tents, 
is the Shavuot, which I can't even say Hebrew stuff, but that is literally where God would, that they would become homeless, live in tents all together so they could be as close as possible to God because God came down and lived in a tent. So he could be as close as possible to us. And so it was a reflective way of saying, we want to be intimate with you. Remember what Jesus was called as prophetic as to who he was. He was called Emmanuel, God with us, living in a tent. What is the tent? You. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to kind of be a passerby. He doesn't want you to, he doesn't want to come and visit you on Sunday. Stop by, give you some of his presence, and you're like, oh, that was awesome, and I cried a lot, and I was on my face, and had this radical encounter, and now it's Thursday, and you're kicking a dog, and yelling at your spouse, and you're upset about your finances, and you got symptoms in your body, and everything's mucked up, but now, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. I'm going to go have another visitation. I'm going to stop by again. That is not what God intended for us to live our lives. He, lived, he desired for us to be all in, live in a tent for the rest of our lives. That's what he, remember he told the disciples when he sent them out, take nothing. Take nothing. Just, just literally walk out the door and go into full-time ministry. Walk into the next town. Start preaching the gospel on a soapbox. Walk into the first house. Ask him if you could stay the night. This doesn't happen in today's world. Absolutely not. And this was normal for Jesus. He did this not only with the 12, but then later on in Luke, that was Luke 9, where he did it with the 12. Then Luke 10, he did it again with the 70. Said, look, it worked for these guys. Yeah, but they're the high apostles. Okay, fine. I'll take the 70 and do it. Wow. That'll mess with all the people that think that God changed. You know, just the 12 apostles had some incredible stuff. But the rest of us, he literally did it again with the 70. And they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in your name. And he's like, guys, it's not about the demons bowing when you tell them to bow. It's about the fact that your names are written in heaven. You get to be intimate with God. Yeah, the miracles are great. Awesome. Wonderful. But you get to be intimate with God. Yeah, but did you see the miracle? And those I'm those you, are the ones that left. Yeah, those are the ones that left. There were John six sixty. Jesus says, yep. "This is what discipleship looks like." And guess who left? Almost everybody. Yeah. Eat my flesh. All and the drink followers my blood. left. Yeah. Yep. Whoa, 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 whoa! Eat flesh, drink blood. This sounds like a cult. <laughs> and you know what the average preacher would have done? Said, "Well, you know, I mean, like the bread is my body; it's symbolic, and then the blood is the wine." And he, you know, what Jesus did? No. Again, I say unto you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. Are you getting it yet? (laughs) (laughs) He was literally trying to run them off. I know that this is really hard on folks. But he was was telling them, the fence is going to go, is going to give you calluses in places you don't want calluses. And eventually, the fence is going to be on fire. If it isn't already. This is a little bit of a wreck you message. Because there's a lot of people sitting out there right now, and it's okay if you're one of them, that go, gosh, I've, I've been doing pretty good. I've, I've, got a, I've got a budget for my life that I think Jesus smiles on. I've, I've, I've 
working at a place now where there's other Christians and I can actually speak out my faith. I'm not working 80 hours a week. I'm only working 60 hours a week. There's lots of good steps, and those are the steps that everybody should be taking. But this is a recue message because it's God's ideal. It's getting a glimpse of what heaven on earth really should be looked like, look like and where God is calling for every single one of us to get to whether it's next week or next month, hopefully sooner than later. And and I'm a firm believer that that can be done, that God doesn't just, you know, throw this out in the New Testament to tease us with, but he actually believes that this is the life that we're made for. And he's the one that made us, so he knows what we're made for. Notice the next part of this was baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. The word baptism means to immerse, submerge, or fully saturate. What what a disciple should be and should be making is someone who's completely submerged, immersed, and saturated in the nature of God. Remember, name is nature, honor, Essence, authority, character. So you should be immersed, submerged, and fully saturated in the nature, honor, essence, character, and authority of the Father. I call this swimming with Jesus. And if you got (laughs) your interlinear out, boys, guess what? Guess how many times this is used? Once. Guess what? I think Jesus made this one up. I think he invented the word right here. There's, another, there's another different God word. tenses of it, but they might have never heard this version of this word before Jesus coins it right here. So he was asking them to do something that probably none of them had ever done, yeah. and you can't do without him. And I think it's important that Jesus highlighted here that he wants you to be completely swimming in the Father and completely swimming in the Son and completely swimming in the Holy Spirit. Because they're, they're obviously different reflections of our triune God. And a lot of people are like, well, I know the Bible. So they're swimming in the Bible, which is kind of like Jesus. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so they have a relationship somewhat with God through the Word. <clears throat> but are you... Then go back to Mark 16, but are these signs following you? If they're not following you, then maybe you're not as immersed and submerged as you need to be. And and this is tenuous. I'll be honest with you because I'm kind of like Ryan where I'm just like, let's everybody just quit everything and we'll buy a little island somewhere. We'll all move there and you're in charge of shooting fish and you're in charge of shooting deer and... And we'll figure out who's cooking vegetables. And, and just live there and be that. You guys know me. Like if, if it wasn't for Kay, I'd be in a mud hut in Africa preaching the gospel with a loincloth. Like that, that's me. But Can I just go on a tangent? I truly believe that if today your church just said, this is kind of crazy, but just, just hold on to me. We're going to sell everything right now. We're going to quit our jobs. And today we're going to start right there would be no more mortgages, and you'd probably live in better houses than you live when you all join in together and do that. You would eat better food than what you've been eating in the past. You would have better, deeper relationships than you've had in the past. You guys see where I'm going with this? It's like if you just took the plunge and totally swam with Jesus, I think you would 
completely have better lives than you've ever experienced before. Now, that sounds nuts. That sounds crazy. <laughs> what, what is this? Well, it was crazy in Christ's time, right? crazy countercultural when they did that. And guess what? It's not any different today. It, it's as weird today as it was when they did it in the New Testament church. And it didn't stop him from asking. It didn't stop him from making that call. You know, here the Jesus normal is always world weird. Always. Always, always, always. Marshals, do you need a 4,000 square foot house to live? No. No. You You live out of a bus. And we think we need a whole lot of things when we actually just need Jesus. God will take way better care of you than you take care of you. And because people don't actually believe that or trust him to do that, they don't. Like, well, if I just go all in for God, well, then how am I going to eat? I know. Like, God just lets people starve that come in and live with him and serve him. It, believe it or not, he's very faithful to do that stuff. Now, I'm not telling everybody in here to sell everything and quit your jobs and, and you know. I might be, but okay. <laughs> right. But there's something that you can do that can move this way. You know what Jeremy's testimony was? They, he started a lot, like all of this manifestation to get there. It wasn't like he made a decision on Saturday and on Sunday he was counting the dough. There was a, but there was a moment in there when he made a decision. But then that also led to another decision at some other point that led to a decision that led to a decision. This is, some, this is a direction you head, not necessarily a destination that you arrive at. And Jeremy didn't know what we were talking about today, and he described this as he's all in. And when you're all in, you're all in. And in the Old Testament, people, you know what people get, prosperity preaching has such a bad name? Well, one, because the way that we see it today is horrible. But the reason it has a bad name is because people don't understand what was going on when God blesses people. They, they think that if they make one or two steps towards it, then, then God's going to give them all these things. In the Old Testament, this was called the retribution principle problem. That is God, if I worship the Lord, does that mean he's going to prosper me? Well, not necessarily. But when you get picture of people that were truly all in, and I call these people that lived according to the New Testament version of Jesus's definition of discipleship, but we see that in the Old Testament. Who were they? They were people like Abraham, the the father of faith. You see people like Job. I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be Job at that time, but like, was he prosperous at the beginning? Was he prosperous at the end of the story? Yeah. It's interesting that when people follow the ideals that God has laid out, guess what it looks like? Prosperity. You have, you, what should have happened is the Israelites should have moved into Canaan and been manufacturing grapes as big as baseballs that the rest of the world hadn't right. never seen before. Right. And people are traveling from all over to get a piece of this fruit from Canaan that belongs to the Lord. And, you know, they're just saying, I don't know, what do you pay me for it? And pretty soon, like, they're incredibly prosperous. Not only that, but now everybody else wants to be in the all-in club, so to speak. You know, the pandemic was incredibly beneficial to the Amish. I don't know if you knew that or not, yeah. but because the Amish didn't participate, 
They didn't have a pandemic in the Amish community because they don't have a TV. Right. What, pandemic? Yeah. So they just kept pumping away. So they were producing goods while the rest of the world shut down. And so their goods went up in price and they were available. And some of these honest folks are like, well, what are, what are we going to do with all our riches? The, you can. This is the, what God intended. You know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, there's a verse in, in Genesis, I think it's 16 or 17, somewhere in there, where it says that Isaac sowed in the land of famine and received that year a hundredfold return. So when the rest of the world was in a famine and they were broke and they were terrible and like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Isaac's like, I'm going to go plant a crop. And God gave him a hundredfold return. This, this is over and over and over and over in Scripture where God leads people to do stuff that doesn't look world-wise. Here's a quote from David Kinnaman who wrote a book called Unchristian. Most people in America, when they are exposed to the Christian faith, are not being transformed. They take one step into the door and the journey ends. They are not being allowed, encouraged, or equipped to love or to think like Christ. Yet, in many ways, a focus on spiritual formation fits what a new generation is really seeking. Transformation is a process, a journey not a one-time decision. This is really what the world is looking for. The world is looking for authentic and real. You know, they're surrounded. They're baptized in plastic. This is why people are always like, are you being for real? Are you serious? Is this, you know, is this computer-generated graphics or is this all that? You know, what do you really, do you really believe that? This is why people all the time say, this is what I believe. And, and I've told you all the time, please, don't tell me what you believe. I'll watch your life. I'll look at your checkbook register. I'll look in your medicine cabinet. I'll look at how you talk to your spouse. And I'll know what you believe. You don't have to tell me. And, and for sure, you don't have to try to convince God. He already knows. Uh Donald Barnhorse said, one of the consequences of sin is that it makes the sinner pity himself instead of causing him to turn to God. One of the first signs of new life is that the individual takes sides with God against himself. This is what transformation is. I used to be this way. Remember, sin means to miss the mark, and it's a noun, not a verb, hamartia. And so to miss the mark in nature or identity, transformation brings you Did you hear you the word he said? This is really cool. Let, let's just share this. We learned this on the men's weekend. So when you're reading in Matthew 18 early on there, and it talks about those that sinned, um, the actual uh, version of that word is hamartano, which meant harmony. If somebody is out of harmony, we think of sin as being, you know, this horrible thing, in some sins are these horrible things, but if my brother is out of harmony, slightly wandering, a little bit off, missing the mark, out of balance, those are all words that the rest of the Bible uses to describe that word, then what are we supposed to do? We're to, supposed to, two or three, rather, bring them back. Guess, guess what the word the Greek word that we get from there 
is to bring him back into, you ready, the word that we use for symphony. Yep. Bring him back into symphony. If he's out of harmony, bring him back into the symphony of the body of Christ. That's James 5.16 is that process. It says, I think it's 16, uh, it says that if they're, that you should come together and confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. A lot of folks aren't healed because they don't have people that they'll go and confess their faults to. Well, I'm going to meet, God knows my heart, God loves me, and I'm going to be, okay, that's great, but you're not going to have what the Scripture says you're supposed to have. Confess your faults one to another. Now, what this means is there's a unique grace that's available to people who are authentically in relationship together where you come and you say, I'm really struggling right here. I'm out of harmony right here in my life. Can you please tune me? And if you, if it's just a God thing, you understand that an instrument that's out of tune all by itself in a way, is in tune? If I took a trumpet and messed with the tuning of a trumpet, but it was the only sound, it would be harmonized to itself. And that's what a lot of people do, is they go only to God, and so they think that they're in harmony because God loves you. And He's going to be worried. But when you bring your instrument together with other people in the body of Christ, you're like, oh my Lord, it sounds like an elephant being strangled by a person. (laughs) Almost said stupid stuff. (laughs) That is is what happens when we as the body of Christ come together and do this. Now, I will grant you that the reason that a lot of people don't do this is because there really isn't enough authentic people in their life to where they actually could go and confess faults to them and that person would literally help them work through and get them tuned. Versus, hey, Facebook, guess what Doc Ryan just told me is a problem in his life. Do you believe it? Doc Ryan is struggling with such and such and so and so. Because we don't hold each other's confidence. And that's why I tell you guys all the time, like, we need to be those, that group of people. We need to have that culture where someone can come to you and say, I'm out of tune. Can you help me? I would, I'd be honored to. Let me wash your feet. Let me come in as low as possible and serve you, pray for you, and love you. And we'll both get harmonized together. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.